So I wonder, you know, have uh, you been hit at all by the, the supply chain crisis and issues that have been going on? And as you know, there's supply chain issues. People are not able to get all the parts that they need. And I've had a few ways. Uh, I was ordering, uh, able to get an upgraded uh, laptop. And for a while, I wasn't able to get it because it was on, uh, it was out of, on back order and talked to them and found out it's because there was a shortage on, there's a shortage on RAM, the, uh, the memory that they need. And so this is just one thing. I have a son who is driving a uh, 20-year-old car that I've been told at any moment if uh, it's basically one bad pothole away from the whole car imploding and really hoping that doesn't happen because it's not a great time to buy a used car uh, because uh, the prices are way up. And the reason that you can't buy a used car uh, inexpensively right now is because of a shortage of computer chips. And it's because so many of the new car, well, all the new cars use so many computer chips in their systems that because there's a shortage of computer chips, there's a shortage of new cars. And if people can't buy new cars, they don't trade in uh, their, their old cars, and so there's less old cars. So you can have just like one component that is essential that you need, and it, uh, it messes up the, the whole works when you have something that's essential and it's, it's not available to you. I looked, and there's a lot of other supply chain issues. Uh, just recently, I was curious, what are some of the ones that are going on? It talked about pet food, uh, which, hey, that's cats. You're, you can, uh, that's on you. Uh, <laughs> if you want to ignore those mice, uh, <laughs> get more motivated. But it also said beef and chicken. It said other things, you know, there's paper cups. And then one, and I couldn't even read the rest of the article because it traumatized me too much. It mentioned coffee, possibly. If that happens, I mean, this might be, you know, some kind of, you know, zombie apocalypse situation uh, if there's a shortage on coffee. So I, I don't even want to think about that. But if we think about, you know, supply chain shortages, I want to have that in contrast to what God's Word is telling us in this passage. We are in Second uh, Peter, and I hope you turn to that. Uh, if you uh, would take your, um, there's a pew Bible. If you didn't bring your own, turn to Second Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 3 and 4 today. But what we are going to be seeing in this is the good, the great, the valuable message to us that as believers, as Christians, you have already been given everything that you need for salvation and godliness. There is not some critical component. There is not a supply chain shortage keeping you from something essential that you need for, as it's going to say, life and godliness. And this is a great message to us. So let's read here. We'll go back and we'll start at the very beginning of Second Peter so that we can kind of hit this running and remind ourselves of last week's message when we started this series. So Second Peter chapter 1, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So last week we looked at that introduction, and in that section uh, we saw that if you are a believer, if you're a genuine Christian, that you have a faith that is of equal standing and value as the Apostle Peter who wrote this. 
And that is a tough thing to, to grasp. We think our, our faith is so uh, weak that our uh, life in Christ, it, it doesn't compare to the, the Apostle Peter, but he's saying that he is writing this to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. With Peter, the other, uh, the other apostles, the, the first Jewish Christians, all those, the same faith. And a way that we could think about this, another illustration would be if you are, your ship has sank in the North Atlantic and you are in the frigid waters and you are going to drown. You're hanging uh, just for the last few moments on a little piece of, of, of driftwood until, until you sink and die. And along comes a, uh, a large ship to come and rescue you. And this huge ship comes and it starts pulling people out of the water onto this ship. And you are pulled up and you are rescued along with others. And if you have two people that are now on this ship and one person is standing there, they are thankful, they are confident, they're standing up on this ship and that they've been rescued. And another person is basically on, on the deck, they're on all fours, uh, they're, they're shaking and quivering. But there's a sense that you have been equally rescued because it's not about how you feel about it, it's about the ship that you are on. And so if you are a Christian, if you are saved by, by faith in Jesus Christ, it is not about you and your works and the strength of your faith, it's that you are now in Christ, that you have received his righteousness and he gives his full credit for his full righteousness to us when he saves us. He takes our sin, he gives us his righteousness, and he always gives everyone the full amount of that. And so we stand in equal righteousness in the eyes of God, not based on us, but based on the righteousness of Christ. So we saw that last week, and now we go on to the two verses we're going to talk about for this week. Verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. These are the verses in God's word that we are going to be focusing on. Uh, we'll talk about verse 3 first. And verse 3, I want to summarize it by saying that the God's divine power has already granted us everything that we need for salvation and growth. It's given us everything that we need. Remember, this is talking to believers. Peter has mentioned in verses 1 and 2, this is to those that have uh, received this faith of equal standing with, with, with Peter and the rest of the apostles, uh, to all Christians together. So he's talking to us, and which is something to realize when we talk about these benefits, when we talk about what this is like. If you have not turned to Jesus Christ yet, uh, repenting of your sin, turning to him in faith, trusting in him, this does not apply to you yet, but it can and this offer is available to you, and I plead with you, and I hope that you would believe this and that you would turn to Christ and in faith be saved. We're going to see it over and over that it's not our good works or our effort that saves us. He saves us by, by his work when we turn to him in faith. So he's talking to believers, and notice it, it says his divine power is granted to us 
all things. It doesn't say most things. It doesn't say a bunch of things. It says all things that pertain to life and godliness, the things that we need. So there is no supply chain issue. There's no supply chain problem that keeps you, believer, from anything essential that you need for, it says here, life and godliness. And I think we could realize that means, I think, salvation and also our continued growth in Christ. That the life that we have, uh, the Greek word for life there is, is zoe. And that's the word that is used for this. Uh, it doesn't mean just that we're physically alive, but that we've received life in Christ. We've been made spiritually alive because before this, we are spiritually dead. But when we come to Christ, when we're born again, we receive eternal life, new life, spiritual life that starts now and goes into eternity. So we receive this uh, salvation. But then it also talks about godliness. And I think this refers to not just the beginning of spiritual life, but that we grow. And just like a, a baby, when it comes into existence, uh, it's alive, but it's also something that grows. And a genuine Christian is alive and is going to be growing because that's how God has designed us to be. And we're going to see that it is from him. He's given us all we need for, for life and for godliness, for salvation and for, for growth. We have all these resources. We see in this verse that it's by his divine power. And we look at this section, we can see all kinds of great things that we've been given. It's going to talk in the next verse about promises. Uh, we see that it talks about uh, calling, knowledge, all these things. But I think, really think that the divine power, God's power, is meant to be put as it's the source of everything else. It comes from him. He is the one that grants this to us. So it's not from your own power. If you're trusting in your power, your strength, you're trusting in the wrong thing. That's not going to get you saved. And that's not going to cause you to grow. If you think, I'm going to, I'm going to grow in Christ based on my own strength, my own willpower, that's, that's not going to work either. And God has granted it to us. He's bestowed it. He's given it to us. And we know for, that this is an act of grace. Him giving to us what we didn't earn, what we don't deserve. This also means we didn't need to find it for ourselves. We don't need to wrestle it away from God. He grants it to us. He's willing to do this. And he gives us what we need. All things. Nothing essential is withheld. What God gives is sufficient for us. And we look at this passage. We go on. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And then it says, in a way, how this happens. And it says, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So it does happen through knowledge that God gives to us. There is a knowledge component. And we're going to, knowledge is going to keep coming up in Second Peter. It's a, it's a theme. We're going to see it repeated. It was in it last week. It's going to be in it next week. It's a repeated theme. And we're going to keep making the point that it's, it's not just head knowledge. Uh, it is knowing Christ as well. But there is something to be said about factual knowledge. There is factual knowledge that, that really does need to be a part of this. That we need to know uh, truths about him in order to, in order to, to grow, in order to, 
to have salvation. There is uh, content. And I think that's why, let's say in uh, the book of, book of Romans, it can talk about that, that there, there is a knowledge aspect that we need to have. I'll read this. This is Romans chapter 10. And it says in verse, verse 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? That we do need to hear. We do need to know certain truths. We need to know about the, the promises of the gospel. We need to know uh, the message of salvation. The good news is actually news. There is a knowledge component to it as well. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Basically, you, you can't. You need to hear. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? It needs to be communicated. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And it goes on from there. And then it says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So knowledge, we're going to see, is an important thing. And the word here is, is epigenosis. And so it's knowledge. Epi means even like higher. It's, a, it's a, a high knowledge that we have of God. We'll talk more about that in this series. But we see it's through this, through knowing about God and knowing him, knowing him personally, that we receive uh, salvation, we receive life in him. So you need to know about Jesus and you need to know Jesus both of these things together. We see also that it's knowledge of him who called us, that God is the one that has, has summoned us. He's called us to himself. And I believe this is a reference not just to this uh, general call that goes out, uh, offering this to everyone, but there's an effectual call that God gives. And that if you have been saved, you receive this effectual call that just like God called to Jesus called to Lazarus, come out, and he, he, he rose and he came out. That when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and Jesus called to you, that he worked something in your heart so that you rose and you, you followed and you came to him. This is a, a summons that causes us to come to him. And this is, he calls us to himself, and he calls us, it says, to his own glory and excellence. Now, this can be translated, he calls us by his glory and excellence. And he, it can be translated, he calls us to his glory and excellence. And both of those make sense. I think he calls us by both of these things, and he calls us to both of these things. And this corresponds, I think, well with other things that are written in the New Testament. In Romans eight, twenty-eight through 29, Paul talks about something similar to this. He says, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So that's their destiny, to be made like Jesus Christ. That'll be important later on as we talk about verse 4. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. So this is a calling, and we see this applies to those that end up being justified. Those he called, he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. That means you're declared righteous in God's sight. And those he justified, he also glorified. And that is the, the end result. We're called to his glory and excellency. In this life, we're being transformed to be more like Christ. We'll see that. But it's the ultimate destiny that, that to be made like Christ in who we are. Let me give you just a few applications before we move on as we think of this. 
So one, realize there are no missing parts being withheld or hidden that we need to search for. And sometimes there are false teachers or some sort of Christians, whether they're false or something suspect about them, sketchy religious leaders, that oftentimes they want to pretend they have some sort of, some sort of secret knowledge, some sort of secret that they've discovered, and if you follow them, they're willing to tell you. You know, if you send in for their book, their, uh, their series, their training, there's some kind of you know, secret critical element that somehow God has just either forgotten to tell everyone else or he's hidden from everyone else and they've discovered this. And maybe that's part of what Peter was dealing with, that he was recognizing uh, that the false teachers, in chapter 2 it's going to be talking a lot about false teachers, that's one of the things that they were doing, that they claimed that they had some kind of hidden knowledge. They had some kind of hidden secret that only they knew. And so you better follow them instead. Whereas God is not like that. He gives us what we need. And when he calls, he gives what is needed. And we're going to see that we have his sufficient word that he has given to us. It's going to talk about the the promises that we have in the gospel and promises for the future. God is not hiding these things. Yeah, maybe we spend time not looking at God's word. We spend way too much time looking at other things or playing uh, games on the computer or or whatnot. And if we would look at God's word and what it has to say for us, they're right there. He wants us to look. He wants us to see these things. He has revealed all the truth that we need. He's given us everything. He's also given us the, the, the power for it. Our salvation from beginning through the Christian life and to the end is based on his power, his grace, his work in our lives. And this also means that it is all from God so that God gets all the glory. If he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, the beginning of the Christian life, the middle, all the way to the end, who gets the glory from that? If I could say, well, it's partly from me. You know, God, he had to give, okay, 50%, and I did 50% of the work. I could claim 50% of the glory. And even if I said, well, God did 99%, he gets more of the credit, but I still had to kick in my 1% of the effort. I could still pat myself on the back a little bit. But this tells us that God is the one. It is from him. He gives us everything that we need. Yes, we do need to respond in faith. But even that, we see that it's God working through us. God gets all the credit. He gets all the glory. All the power is from him. And this also means that we can't make an excuse that we don't have what we need. Maybe you've had a situation at work where you have a coworker and something needed to be done, and they say, "Well, I, I just couldn't do it. I didn't. I didn't have the widget I needed, and um, you know, nobody gave me this, and so I've just haven't been able to do what I'm supposed to do. Whether it was a piece of equipment or a part or some knowledge that they didn't have, and maybe you say, "Well." you should have got this or we can't with God we can't make any type of excuse like that if verse 3 is true and he has it doesn't say that he will grant us he has granted us everything that we need and we're going to see we need to we need to use it we need to grow in it okay but he's given us these things so there's no excuse that we can make that God has withheld some special thing that we need 
And therefore, well, it's on God, and he just didn't give me what I need to grow. We can't make that excuse. So that's our first point, that God's divine power has granted us all we need for salvation and growth. Second point I want to make, looking at verse 4, is that God's divine power makes us partakers of God's divine nature. So in this section, we see it talks about God's power, divine uh, power, and it also talks about divine nature. And what does that mean? So reading verse 4 again, it says, uh, by which he has granted to us his very precious and great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of his divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So we see here, it begins talking about the promises that he gives to us. And it says, uh, he gives us his promises. And of course, it wouldn't really be all that helpful if he just gave the promises and didn't fulfill the promises. I mean, the reason that the promises are actually valuable is because we have a God that actually fulfills those promises. And if you're a believer, he's already fulfilled the promise that he has given to you that uh, all those that call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you've turned to him in repentant faith, you came to him, that he gives you the gift of eternal life and he's already made good on that promise. And for believers, we know there's even more promises through this life. He will cause all things to work together for the good of those who love him or are called according to his purpose. There's the promise of his, his return, him setting this world right, the promise of resurrection, all of these different things. So it's not just that God makes promises. A lot of people can make promises. A lot of times parents, we make promises to our kids and there are sometimes where people make promises they don't intend to keep them. Sometimes people make promises they intend to keep them, but they find that they just can't keep them. God is never in that situation. If God makes a promise, he knows that he can keep it, and he has the power to keep it, and that means God is going to keep those promises. And so we receive these things, starting with eternal life, through the promises that he makes. And since those promises are precious and very great. I mean, think about what God has told us. Think about the promises he's made and realize they are precious, they are valuable, and they are not small. They are big, great promises. So this also tells us resources we need are the, are the word of God because that's where we know about these promises. We can't just make up God's promises on our own. We can't just say, I have a feeling in my heart God is promising this to me. If God has promised it to us, he has, he has told us in black and white in his word. And we can look at it and try to understand in context, is this talking to us? And when it is, I mean, that is a promise from God that we can bank on. So the word of God, absolutely important to us. The gospel message and all of his promises. But notice it says, he has granted to us his very great and precious promises so that... So we see the word, so that, next. Because what we're doing in this, this series, we're walking through these passages verse by verse. You know, this is a little bit uh, different. We've had a few kind of more topical, um, systematic series that we've had. And just notice, as we go through, we're back, I'm glad that we're back into a, a letter like this, walking through um, a book of Scripture. And kind of the game rules the, uh, that we need to do here uh, 
to, to not be disqualified from our, our, our mission, our task, is to take, have the message that God has in his word be the message for us. And so we want to walk through, and whatever the Holy Spirit was inspiring Peter to write down to his audience, this is what we need to draw out of it as the message that we have. So as we go through this, um, and we together try to understand, that's what we want to do. We want to look at each section here as we go through. And even a small phrase like, so that, can be really helpful because it links these different sections together as we try to do sometimes the hard work of understanding these things. So he's given us very great promises so that through them, okay, the them is the promises, through that these promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. So now we have to think, okay, what does that mean? God has given us great promises, and I think that is, well, the promise of the gospel of salvation, and there's other promises as well, but it starts with that. And through that, what does this mean? Partakers of the divine nature. And there are people that have interpreted that sometimes in incorrect ways. I think we need to make sure that we realize what we don't mean by this. This does not mean that you will ever become God. When the divine nature, we think, okay, there is uh, uh, God's nature, who he is. That's what the divine nature is. This does not say that you become God. And actually, that would be absolutely impossible. Even God cannot make another God. Think, well, God can do anything, can't he? No, this would be absolutely self-contradictory. It's not even a thing that could be done. I mean, think about it. To actually be God, like the real God of the Bible, we're not talking about Thor or some kind of Marvel superhero created, uh, well, just the false gods. But let's say even those type of gods really existed. They're not God in the way that God is God, okay? Because God has always been God. He didn't need somebody else to create him. He doesn't derive his, his godhood from somebody else. And he has always existed. That's part of what it means for him to be God. That he is self-existing. That he uh, doesn't need somebody else. He doesn't depend on somebody else for his, who he is. So if that's what it means to be God, like he is God, he can't make us like that. That wouldn't make sense. Because if you needed somebody else to make you God, then you're not really God. And if there was ever a time where you weren't fully God, then you're not God. And that's why, like the Arians, who viewed back in the early church, that they viewed Jesus Christ as being some kind of a lesser being, that he was kind of elevated close to God, but he, not, not fully God. Well, that's, that's a big difference from really being God. That if you are truly God, and we believe Jesus Christ really is God, that means he has always been God that he wasn't some uh, being that God raised to godhood, that there was never a time when the Son of God was, was not God. You're always either God permanently on your own, or you're not God and you never will be. So when it talks about becoming a partaker in the divine nature, it doesn't mean we become God. And notice it says partaker. So we're benefiting from it. We're partaking in God's nature, but we're not becoming God. So we don't become God big G. We don't even become God small G. This is not something that has to do with pantheism where we all become part of 
part of God and something mystical and pantheistic like that. But think about things that this could mean. As Christians, we do become uh, sharers, partakers in God and God and his life and who he is. When you are born again by faith in Jesus Christ, you receive the new birth. You receive a, a new heart. You receive new life from him. We emphasized last week that salvation uh, is because of a, a, basically a legal pronouncement by God, okay? That he declares that Christ has taken uh, your sin on the cross and that he has given you credit for his righteousness, okay? So it's a legal understanding. Um, It is also true because you're in Christ, but there's also the truth that when you are saved, you receive new life from him. You don't remain spiritually dead. You become a new creation. You receive a new heart. You are what the Bible calls being, being born again. And when this happens, our, our spiritual heart comes alive. Our spiritual heart start, starts pumping because we receive the life of God in us. And that's why as we keep going in uh, chapter 1, we're going to see that uh, we're saved by faith, but when we're saved, we're going to grow because now we're spiritually alive. And this means also, we realize from Scripture that all Christians, you don't become God, but you will have God in you. That the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, indwells us, comes uh, within us, and is the one that is working to transform you from the inside out. So again, your salvation is not by your power, it's by God's divine power. And your spiritual growth, him changing you, is not by your own power, but it's by God's divine power giving you that, the Holy Spirit working in you to do this. And salvation being reconnected to the life of God. I noticed that uh, that phrase about partakers of the divine nature is actually referenced in our church's doctrinal statement. I thought this is really helpful. But let's, let's take a look at this. Now, our doctrinal statement is not uh, the Word of God. We don't put it on the Word of God, but we think it's a helpful uh, summary of things that the Word of God teaches. And in what is Article 10 in our church's doctrinal statement, it's about grace in the new creation, and by this it means the, the new creation of us, not just the world, but new birth that we have in Christ. Let me read this section, and I've... I've highlighted the part in, in the middle where it talks about partakers of, of the divine nature. It says, We believe that in order to be saved, sinners must be born again, and that this new birth is a new creation in Christ Jesus, that it is instantaneous and not a process, and that, the new, that in the new birth, one dead in trespass and in sins is made a partaker of the divine nature. So you've been dead in the past, and now you're alive in Christ because he's made you alive because you're connected to his life, causing your spiritual heart to beat again. Made a partaker of the divine nature and receives eternal life, the free gift of God, that the new creation is brought about in a manner above our comprehension, not by culture, not by character, nor by the will of man, but wholly and solely by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, we've seen in this passage, it's by God's divine 
power in connection with the divine truth. So it's the Holy Spirit in conjunction with the Word of God, with truth that he has given us. It's not one or the other. It's both working together. So as to secure our voluntary obedience to the gospel, that means that we still respond. Okay, we still do, but it's God working in us that makes it so that we do willfully come to him. And that its proper evidence appears in the holy fruits of repentance and faith and newness of life. And we'll see more of that as we keep walking through Second Peter chapter 1. So we receive God's spiritual life by his power. We receive spiritual growth through his power. You know, in a way, a lot of this, to me, um, a year ago we did First Peter. And in First Peter, the third verse, it talked about, Blessed be the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. According to his grace and mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And says through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it goes on from there. I think in Second Peter, he's basically saying the same thing in different words. It's through his divine power, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. To the hope that we have because of promises that he has given us and the destiny he's given us. And it's all by his power and by his grace. Back to Second Peter and verse 4. So we receive this divine nature. And it says, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. You know, this world is corrupted. It doesn't take long to look at that, to see this world is in ruins, that it is perishing. And this, there's more perishing to come. And it's going to talk about that as we get into Second uh, Peter as well. When we get into chapter 3, uh, there's judgment coming, and there's already judgment in this world. This isn't the way that God made this world in the beginning. In this world, in the beginning, there wasn't meant to be death like this. There wasn't meant to be this corruption, all this dysfunction, everything that we find. But it's, our sin that has brought this about it is a, because of sinful desire that went all the way back to our first parents. Adam went with Eve and they sinned, they rebelled against God, and they plunged this world into the mess that it is. And we keep adding to this every time that we sin as well. And we come to this, into this world as rebel sinners with our desires twisted and pointed away from the God that's the source of life. And praise him that he saves us, he calls us, back to life. He calls us back to himself. Something that we would never do because our hearts are too twisted and messed up to do that if God just left us to ourselves. It's in ruins because of rebellion against God. And you can see that. We can see that in our lives. Whenever you rebel against God and his word, things do not go well. We rebel against the, the designer who made us, who knows us, who knows how we're supposed to function, how our families are supposed to function, how our world is supposed to function. We say, no, I think I'll do things different. It doesn't work well. There's a sense that this is something that's already true. It says having escaped. But yet we say, well, have we really escaped it? Because we're still in it. One sense we have already escaped it because we have a firm hope. We have this blessed hope. We have God's promises. And we, in a sense, you've already been made alive. You have already escaped it. But in another sense, we're still living in it. And God has purposes for us in this world. We're to rescue those that are lost, those that are perishing. 
were to help other people to uh, come on board, to be plucked out of the icy waters of the Atlantic and to have their faith firm on Jesus Christ as well so that they can be saved along with us. But for the time being, we are still having to deal with this fallen world and sometimes even the, the part of us that is still in process of being renewed. You're a new creation, but you're not completely finished yet. And so we still battle against our, our evil desires and the things that are still the remains of the old heart that is in us. But we're born again to a living hope. So I think we see in all of this, that we are saved by God's grace. We receive a, a faith that is the same standing and, and value as the Apostle Peter. But don't think, well, I have that, and, so, and I have all that I need, so I guess I'm, I'm good, and I don't need to come to church anymore. I don't need to try. I don't need to do anything. I can just rest on that. On one hand, it's God's power, and he's given us what we need, and we are also still called to grow. We're going to keep seeing that as we keep working through this. But we are saved to be changed. I mean, even looking through these two verses, we are called to life and godliness. We are called to his own ex- glory and excellence. Verse 4, we are made partakers of the divine life and we escape the corruption that is in this world because of rebellion against God. We're supposed to be moving away from those things. So yes, on one hand, we do have faith of equal value and we have all things that we need, but we are still called to grow in our Christian life. And we're going to see that as we move into the next verses. We talk about verses 5 and through 9 next time. We're saved by grace and we are saved to grow. You know, in the same way that uh, a newborn baby has all of the parts that it's going to have, has all the organs that it has, it has what it needs, but the baby shouldn't stay like that baby. The baby is called to grow, to develop. And I want to leave you with, this is a quote from Warren Wearsby that I thought this was really helpful. It says, When you are born into the family of God by faith in Christ, you are born complete. God gives you everything you will ever need for life and godliness. Nothing has to be added. We are complete in him. The false teachers claim that they had a special doctrine that would add something to the lives of Peter's readers. But Peter knew that nothing could be added. And just as a normal baby is born with all of the equipment he needs for life and only needs to grow, so the Christian has all that is needed and only needs to grow. God never has to call back any of his models because something is lacking or faulty. And just as a baby has a definite genetic structure that determines how he will grow, So the believer is genetically structured to experience glory and virtue. And one day he will be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have been called to his eternal glory. And we shall share that glory when Jesus Christ returns and takes his people to heaven. So Christian, realize God has given you this. Christian, you are complete in Christ. You already have all that you need. And if there are times when you think, I can't do this. I can't follow Christ. I can't grow. I don't have what I need. I want you to just remember what this verse teaches us. And it's teaching you, and you can say, no, 
I got this. I got this. People say that a lot. They say, oh, you got this. I got this. Not in the sense that people usually mean where they say, I got this because I'm self-sufficient. I got this. But you can say this because you have already received all things by God's divine power that you need for life and godliness. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for these verses. And if there are times that we ever feel insufficient, that we ever, ever feel lacking, Lord, help us look to you. Lord, our salvation from beginning to end is by your divine power and by your grace, Lord God. Lord, help us to, to look to you, to trust into you, and to, to grow in our faith, but to always remember that it is always by your divine power and not ours. You have given us everything that we need. There's nothing that we are lacking. You have not left us with any sort of supply chain shortage. There is no defect. Praise you that you have given believers everything that we need for life and godliness. We have no excuses. We have no claim on pride for this. But we give you praise. May Jesus Christ receive all the glory. In his name we pray. Amen.